In today's episode, I interview Olga Kirschenbaum, the money whisperer, money coach and founder of Rex to Riches Consulting. She mainly works with creatives and she came from Russia. She was born in Russia and came to New York City at the age of nine years old. I'm super, super glad to have you here today. My first money coach on the podcast. Welcome. Happy to have you here. Hello and welcome to the Successful, Sensitive and Intuitive Entrepreneur podcast. My name is Lydia Sophia Wilmsen and I am an intuitive success mentor for sensitive entrepreneurs. In this podcast, I speak about the challenges sensitive and intuitive entrepreneurs face. I offer you new perspectives and solutions as well as experiences of other entrepreneurs. Plus, I speak about my personal experience of being a highly sensitive person who has successfully built and scaled two businesses. All of that with the goal to make you and your business even more successful in your very unique and authentic way. Have fun and enjoy. Thank you so much for having me, Lydia. I'm super excited to talk money today. Yay. <laughs> okay, let's get started. First thing, as always, I would love to hear a little bit more about you, about your story and yeah, how you started about, uh, around money coaching, how you got into that game. Yes. So when I was graduating from high school, I was one of those few people that actually knew what they wanted to do. I knew I wanted to go to school for accounting. And I got into it and realized the reason why I got into accounting is because I used to love math when I was a kid in school. And I started my accounting degree and realized there's not that much math in accounting. It's more about balance and logic and solving money puzzles. Lucky for me, I found out that I really love solving money puzzles. And I spent 10 years in corporate America working as an accountant. And I, most of the time, I worked in creative companies, um, visual effects, ebook publishing, and advertising. And I essentially learned how to speak to creative people about money. And typically, people who say things like, money is not my language, numbers are not my thing. And after um, 10 years, I found myself fired from my last nine to five job. And I noticed I had a pattern of finding myself in jobs that were great on paper. And then I would be disengaged within a year and a half and not happy. And even though everything on paper was great, I wasn't finding myself fulfilled. So I took this opportunity to see what was missing. And for me, it was really helping people. So I decided to take this passion for money and solving money puzzles and combined it with helping people, money coaching. When I went on this journey to see what was missing in my nine to five jobs, I found out it was really connecting with people and having an impact on their lives. And my friends and family started saying, you know, everyone goes to you for money advice since you were in high school. People would definitely pay for this. And I decided to go for it. Amazing story. <laughs> <laughs> Super cool. Especially after having like dealt or having spent so much time in corporate America and then knowing what, what is missing. And yeah, perhaps tell us a little bit more about as you're a money coach, how do you see money? What is money? What is money for you? Yeah, let's start there. Yes. So for me, I see it in two ways. I see it as uh, energy. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's a flow. 
And whenever there's um, money struggles or puzzles to solve, that means there's some sort of friction going on and you have to get to the bottom of what is actually stopping the flow. The other way I look at money is it's a tool. It's a tool for us to get to the next steps, to give us opportunity. And um, essentially, I equate it with opportunity as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, opportunity, uh, energy, being in flow. Um, so when people come to you and you come from this or from this this background of accounting so that's obviously a lot about budgeting management and now you introduce a little bit of this energy thing so we speak more about mindset like what do you think or what, what do you see is the biggest issue is it the mindset is it the 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 management of money with what people struggle with so I think there are a couple of things. One thing that I see most often is actually people don't have the confidence with dealing with money. So a lot of the time people will come to me and say, for example, I want to save for retirement or be more prepared. And I feel like I'm not doing enough. We start going through the things that they are doing. And what we realize is they're actually doing really well. They just are missing the information. And the way I like to describe it, it's almost like you're walking through a forest that's super dark without a light and you're taking stabs in the dark. You're, you don't see what's happening. So you feel like you're lost. You're not sure where you're going. And once we start unpacking the, the habits that they need to align with their goals, that's when we, they realize that they actually are doing a lot more than they give themselves credit for. So that's the first thing that people don't have the confidence that they actually know what they're doing. And the other thing is most people don't budget. And I think it really comes down to not managing and having intentions for your money. When you have, even if, it, if you've never budgeted before and you decide, you know, I'm going to start managing and maintaining this it will begin to kind of force you down that path of figuring things out. Okay. Can you perhaps explain a little bit more for the audience what you mean or what budgeting is, basically? I have an idea. However, explain it in your words, please. Yes. So a budget is your expected income minus your expected expenses for the month. And the rest would be your discretionary income. The way I, I like to make the distinction because there's a lot of people who come to me and they say, I budget, but what they actually are doing is just expense tracking. So the crucial part for there to be a budget, you have to sit down in the beginning before the month actually starts happening and figure out what you want to have. What are you expecting? So uh, what do you expect for your income? If you have a nine to five job, that's fairly simple. But then what are you expecting for your expenses and have realistic expectations? For example, maybe there, um, it's a month that you have a lot of birthdays and you're going to be spending gifts, money on gifts, or perhaps it's Christmas time, holiday time, and you know you're going to be spending more money on entertainment and gifts and things like that. So it's important to have that point where you list out everything that you expect. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that's super crucial is actually checking in periodically because a lot of people, so why I say a lot of people, what they're doing is expense tracking. They check in in the beginning and then at the end. 
the point of a budget is to give you kind of a roadmap mm-hmm. of where you're going to go. And why it's crucial to check in halfway is because if there's something happening in the middle of the month, maybe you've spent a little too much, or maybe you're spending less in a category than you expected, you can make changes throughout the month that can benefit you in the long run. So for example, maybe you have less expenses than you expected in a certain category. Maybe you can save more. Maybe you can uh, pay down a little bit extra of your debt. But it gives you this flexibility of having control over what's happening. And that's where the distinction is between a budget and just expense tracking. So that, that proactivity and checking in periodically is crucial for it to be an actual budget as opposed to a process where you're just tracking yeah, everything. Makes sense. And um, perhaps another question related to that, because obviously if you're in a nine to five, you know what's coming in. What do you do with all the entrepreneurs? Because you said, or I mentioned that you mainly work with creatives. So that means entrepreneurs in the creative area. Like, of course, there are people who um, have clients booked for the next year, so they know what they are expecting. And then there are clients who have no idea. Who, so, so how do you work with them on their expected income? Yes. So with entrepreneurs, freelancers, it does get a little bit more tricky because it's not a consistent income flow. But we, I basically break it down on a week-by-week basis, so it makes it more manageable. So it's easier to say, you know, what's realistic, what's coming in for the next week or two. And you're definitely checking in a lot more often than you would if you had a regular nine to five income flow. Um, The other thing is you have to be a little bit more proactive because especially with creatives, your um, just flow of business sometimes tends to be a little bit more tricky. There are down periods and really busy periods. So it's really important to really understand the trends of your industry. So if you know some businesses will um, have a slow period in the summer, you have to be proactive as you're managing the income that's flowing in before that period comes so that you are able to sustain that period without being too stressed out. Because the reality is people really don't understand how much money stress impacts you until you actually are over it. And it's one of those things because it's not physical. It's something that you're thinking about and maybe pushing to the back of your mind all the time. And once you're over it, you'll realize just how much it, it stressed you out. So that's why it's really important to be proactive when it comes to creatives who have maybe uh, more more fluctuations in their income. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. And probably the beginning is the hardest, you know, when, the, when you start working with them to get them to the point to start implementing the stuff you teach them. And then them, like they have, or them having those experiences of, wow, now I'm over that. So now it's actually fun. You know, in the beginning, it's more like, I remember those times from earlier, you know, like so stressful. And um, yeah, once you're over that, then how fun it becomes to actually deal with money and do things with money or start investing or whatever people want to do. So absolutely. I would have another question. And this is like, would you say everyone can become rich? Or is this a characteristic that you need specific characteristics to become 
And I mean rich, not just having thousand euros in the bank account. I mean like wealthy, rich. Yes. So I like to make a distinction between rich and wealthy. So the, to me, definition of rich is just having a lot of money. And um, like you said, having a lot of money in the bank account. When it comes to wealth, it's more legacy building and building something that's a little bit more lasting. So for example, <laughs> having multiple income streams, and that could be for a person that just has maybe a side hustle, nine to five, and other ways of generating income or it could mean for a business owner, freelancer, that they have multiple income streams as well. There's multiple ways to do that, especially these days with the internet. You can write a book, you can do a course. There's so many opportunities to have multiple income streams. I think it's all about mindset, but it's important to understand because it's about mindset, it is an ebb and flow, just like life. So it's very possible. And we hear stories like this all the time. Someone who has abundance and wealth and all of a sudden something happens to them and they lose it. I think it's all about knowing what that frequency feels like. So once you get into that wealth mindset, it's so much easier to hone it because you know what that frequency is like. Um, but you know, I think the distinction I'd like to make is that there's many people who believe that you can't be wealthy with a nine to five job. And I think it's one of those things where creatives feel like they're supposed to be starving artists. It's a big misconception. There's ways to create wealth in so many different ways. You just have to see the opportunity. And if you look for the opportunity and know what drives you and really gives you passion, even if you have a nine to five job, you'll be able to create wealth in your life. Mm. Okay. Love that. So it's less about characteristics. It's about mindset. And you mentioned also you have to hone or tune into the frequency of wealth. Like, How do you advise people to do that if they have never experienced wealth? Especially like my clients, they come from working class, you know, there is even like a lot of issue around being rich, making money is like very evil, you know, even though they don't see it like that or say it like that. And it's like, wow, and now they, they shall tune into the frequency of wealth they have like for generations not experienced. Absolutely. I can definitely relate to that. My family coming from Russia when I was nine, my parents grew up in communist Russia where, you know, having a lot of wealth was frowned upon communism. Everyone was supposed to have the same exact amount. It's not a good thing to have more than other people. And it's something that I realized I also had a similar mentality that money is evil. It will somehow corrupt me. And I was actively pushing opportunities away because I also thought that somehow I'm going to become a bad person. I think the first thing is you have to come to terms with who you are and yourself. So for example, I know I'm not a bad person. I love serving other people. And it, if I have more money, it will give me more opportunity to serve more people and help more people and help people unlock the magic of their lives once money is no longer a constant issue in their lives. It's, um, it's 
also about reframing those stories. So because I used to have these beliefs, and the thing is, it's not something that I broke in a day. It's something that I constantly have to work on. And once in a while, I'll see that story coming back in my mind saying, you know, money is evil and people with money are bad. And the key there is to actually see that story starting to run in your mind. And what I do is I start looking for stories out there of people doing great things with their money. So one thing, one company that I love using as an example of is Charity Water, started by Scott Harrison. So he was a club promoter. That's how he made all of his money. And he also became kind of disengaged and wanted to do something good with his life. And he decided to start Charity Water and they serve underserved communities and provide clean drinking water. Um, And it's one of those things, you know, he started being a party guy, promoting clubs, and then he made all of his money and now he's doing great things in the world with it. So when it comes to uh, reframing, I try to do this at least once a month because it's so easy to get caught up in life and habits and uh, old habits come back. And also right now, there's just a lot of uncertainty in the world. So sometimes you can feel that scarcity mentality pull you back, especially if it's something that you grew up with. Um, There are other things that you can do that can also promote this abundance growth mindset. And right now, depending on where you are in the world, maybe it's a little tricky, but it's one of those things you have to feel this like frequency. You have to call it before it happens. So for example, the Rolling Stones were rock and rollers before someone signed them. You know, they lived that life, they breathed that that rock and roll life for a long time before they actually became a thing. And you kind of have to do the same thing. So um, one good thing to do, so for example, pick an expensive hotel in your city. And it's a hotel that maybe you never dreamed of staying in, but going to the bar, it's free. All you're going to buy is a drink, but you're going to sit with the people who stay there, people who have meetings there. And that's one great way that you can start embracing these um, these habits of people that you may not be able to relate to because you come from a different background, but you'll be able to see how the other half lives, so to speak, and it will help you kind of hone that frequency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also like when I tell some of my clients, you know, they what would you do if you had that money? And then they come up with all the fancy things they can't afford right now. And sometimes just the imagination. Like I had this example when I was like, just wanting, not because I need super fancy nails, just because I love the idea of someone doing my nails, you know, like that's like ultimate relaxation, getting a hand massage and all of that. And of course I couldn't afford it at that point. And then it was just the image, just the imagination of someone doing that. And after that, I did it myself. But still that brought me like a little bit into that feeling. Yeah. So yeah, good example with the hotels. You can go any place you want and just yeah, buy a Coke or buy a coffee and not actually stay in those places. Yeah. Or art. I come like I come from the art world, you know, you can you don't have to buy all those fancy million dollar paintings. Just walk through there and yeah, think that you're going to pick one. <laughs>
Yeah. Or even go to an auction without any intention of buying anything. But you know what? Just being around those people and seeing how they behave, you will begin to pick up that. So do, have you really seen that in clients and in yourself that working out, that picking up? Because it's a very well-known advice, basically. And you as a money coach. So yeah. one example that I really love is it's quite simple. It had to do with pastries in the morning. And once in a while, um, you know, you get into your habits, especially if you did grow up with a scarcity mindset. And sometimes a, even a $5 pastry could be such a big thing in the morning. So I was working with this client who enjoyed a pastry in the morning, but would also beat himself up for kind of indulging. And they were um, a business owner. So it's super important to stay in this positive, abundant mindset. And one day we had a conversation and they said, Hey, listen, I'm not saying you should have a pastry five days a week, seven days a week, every day that you're working. But what if you're, maybe you have a big day of calls lined up. Maybe you have something going on that day that you need to really show up. Get a pastry. You're going to show up so, so rejuvenated, so happy. And if that pastry means that you can have several more better sales conversations. That's a great thing, not just for you, for your business, for your family. And the wonderful thing, these tiny habit switches actually not just passed on to um, him, but also to his children. Several months in, we're having conversations how, you know, I didn't even talk to my kids about what we're working on, but they see these changes in me. And they're also starting to have this opportunity, this growth mindset as well. I love that because this is actually yeah, changing, changing generational patterns, you know? Like if you yes. come from scarcity mindset, from working class, whatever, and yeah, you will pass on what you do now in a positive or negative way. So I love that example. It's beautiful. Absolutely. Um, so I would love to hear from, from you some tips and tricks. Um, first I would love to hear from you. What do you recommend? Like the three most important things, or perhaps it's only like one important thing you would tell, uh, basically fresh business owner, someone who's starting out, who's not making a lot of money yet, who is dealing with all this business stress when it comes to money. What, what is your recommendation? Yes. So I have three. First tip is pay yourself first. It is something that I see many, many business owners make a mistake in. And then it begins to trickle down into many years of them not paying themselves. The reason why is... So we're business owners. Our businesses are our babies. We invest all of our money blood, sweat, tears in this. And we want to do what's best for the business. By not paying yourself, you're doing yourself a huge disservice and your business. If you were to hire someone outside of your company to maintain this outside of you, there's no one in the world that would do it for free. So you are actually creating an unsustainable business model where you're not paying yourself If I mean, it'd be great if you have the money and you're able to do this for three years without taking a salary. But once you reach that point in three years, you're going to be 
all the budgets that you've made, all the projections that you've had, they don't include a salary. And it's already um, kind of on the wrong path. So the second advice would be to keep business and personal separate. I've seen too many business owners who in the beginning fall into the trap of, oh, you know, I don't have that many expenses. I don't have that much going on. I'm just going to keep it all simple in the same account. And then all of a sudden things begin to grow and business picks up and then it becomes too complex to start pulling things out. And the issue with this is if if you've created a company, you are not going to want to be on the line for everything that comes with the business. You want a wall of protection between you and the business. And once you start colluding all of your finances, that that division isn't so clear. So God forbid something happens and there maybe is a legal issue with your business. If you're colluding things between the business and your personal finances, it's going to be a lot easier for people to come after your personal finances. And then the third thing, pay attention to the money side of business. It's obviously more for people that I work with because I work with so many creatives and they just avoid the money side of business. But it's so, so important. In the first 10 years, most businesses that fail, 83% of them, it's because people aren't paying attention to the money and the cash flow. So it's if you want to have a chance at business, I know it can seem so intimidating, but find someone who can help you. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's an old colleague, maybe it's a YouTube video. There's so much information out there. Pick one thing that can help you get a little more confident and I promise it will get easier. Okay, love those tips. Yeah, beautiful. Mm, would you say or... Because the other question would be, what do you recommend to people who already bring in, let's call six figures, seven figures, like who are already, who are having cash flow, who are making money? Do you have different tips for them? Yes. Okay. So I have two tips for people who are already making six figures. And one thing is find out what your money personality is. Hmm. So knowing your money personality is knowing your money tendencies. It's kind of going back to what I was saying, knowing who you are and being real with yourself. And it allows you to be more proactive. So for example, I mentioned that I used to believe that money corrupts and I am a money monk. Sometimes I get into this habit of thinking that Money is evil and it's going to make me bad somehow. And going back to the tip that I gave earlier, I look for stories that are reinforcing that there's positive things going on with money as well out in the world. So if you know your money personality, for example, there are people who are aggressive savers and they will kind of hoard money and not have intentions for it. And they enjoy seeing the money build up. But without having intention, it's kind of just sitting there and not working as hard as it could. So a good tip for people with uh, a master habits is to create um, intentions for your savings. So for example, maybe you want to have an emergency savings for your business and for your personal uh, 
finances. Maybe you want to have some sort of an investment made into your business and you're going to start saving it. So um, knowing your money personality allows you to make habit changes that are going to stick as well. Um, The other thing is to also have periodic check-ins, even if you feel great with everything that's going on with the business side of money um, or your money side of business rather, um, it's good to check in because life happens, business happens, things, especially these days, I feel like sometimes we're in a time warp, time goes by so quickly. Um, I mean, what happened to our summer this year, right? It's so easy to get into that flow and you're in the grind. So you're constantly doing something before you know it, three months have passed by and maybe things have shifted. Maybe you are starting to pick up habits that you were fighting maybe six months ago and then you got into a good place, but because everything is moving so quickly, things have changed and shifted. So that's why I say it's good to have, especially if you're a business owner, I would say every minimum every two weeks. Personally, I check in with my money once a week for my business. Mm -hmm. Okay, great tips. And now that you shared those, I obviously want to know more about the personalities. What else is out there? So you mentioned the monk, you mentioned the, the hoarder, basically, or whatever the name was. What else do we have? Yes. So there are amassers, there are savers, there are money monks, There are slayers. Slayers are people who have it all figured out. Um, and there are spenders. So there's five. Spenders, savers, amassers, avoiders, and slayers. Basically, um, so let's go one by one. Amassers are people who like to uh, kind of hoard it. And they like to see big balances in their accounts. Um, spenders are people... When you hear of the saying, uh, keeping up with the Joneses, spenders are the Joneses. They like to have the latest gadgets. They like to have the latest things. Um, spenders um, also like to take risks. They tend to um, like to pick up, uh, pick up debt. They don't have any issues with having debt. Um, they're, um, so we did amassers. Savers, um, spenders, slayers are people who have it all figured out. And they're people who I was talking about, they tend to be in flow, but um, it's just because you're in flow today, that doesn't mean you're going to be in flow in six months from now. And that's why my tip is to constantly check in with yourself. Um, I feel like I'm missing one habit, uh, one tendency. Give me. Mm-hmm. We had five, yeah. The master, the saver, the... Oh, money monk. The monk, yeah, you mentioned that yes. one before. So the money monk is basically the same thing as an avoider. So avoiders tend to just run away from money. Um, that's the one that we're missing. Avoiders tend to have a lot of anxiety when it comes to money matters, talking about money, talking about prices, it makes you really anxious. So avoiders will want nothing to do with money. 
they're going to take out the money out of a, out, of, out of an ATM and they're worried. Do I have enough money? They probably know what's going on, but this like unsureness gives them a lot of anxiety. They go to log into their bank account and they're like, I don't know what's happening. Am I going to be overdrawn? Exactly. They start sweating. So money monks are basically avoiders, but with the twist of thinking that money corrupts you. So that's the one trick that they're basically the same personality, but avoiders, they tend to not feel comfortable with money and managing it. Whereas money monks, they take it a little step further and they're like, no, 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 money's evil. Yeah. Okay. I love those personalities. I would see myself in several actually and not in, in one But that's possible uh, to have like crossovers. Yes, you know, that's very possible to have kind of a um, couple of personalities um, or tendencies from a couple of personalities. I recently spoke to someone who's a little bit of a spender, but also an amasser. So she kind of goes back and forth between like saving it up and then spending it, spending it, spending it. So it's very possible to have two different ones or even a couple. And then you basically work with those people on finding the balance and because I guess you have kind of your identity, you won't change it to something totally different. However, you can learn how to how to use the positive as well in it and yeah, create wealth on that base, on that identity you have. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, so perhaps that ties in with what we spoke about um, just now. The question, because this has certainly happened for me and For many people, and we spoke about this also in the beginning, when you said most of the businesses go out or like go out of business in the first 10 years, like 83% or something. And I've spoken about that with several people of even like very successful businesses being in the red numbers and still not properly making or having proper cash flow or having built whatever you call that in English, like build up something. Mm. And there is a difference um, between making money and having money. So you can make a lot of money, but still not have any money. So wh like, what do you think? Where does this struggle come from? Because yeah, it has certainly affected me. It has affected, yeah, it have, keeps affecting so many people, like from a mindset perspective and perhaps also from a management perspective or whatever comes to your mind. I think the two are a bit connected when it comes to the management and the mindset. I think most people don't manage their money and they don't budget properly. And that doesn't give them the insight to make the proper decisions. So I think a lot of it comes from the fear. I, I don't know what I'm doing. And especially for me, because I do work with a lot of creatives. I mean, I hear stories all the time about how, you know, I remember being in second grade and having to go to math class and literally physically feeling sick. So um, for me, what I see is this pattern of people avoiding it. And then when it does become too big, I know that people get intimidated by addressing it. One, there's the shame of like, now I'm a business owner, I should have known better and asking for help. Um, asking for help in general is very difficult for people. It's just like the psychology of asking. And um, it's just one of those things that snowballs out of control very quickly. The thing is, no matter how challenging it is for you to ask for help or finally 
face these money puzzles in your business, I'd say if you're passionate about what you're doing, if this really drives you, for example, I, I love what I do. I, I, I can't imagine myself doing anything else. I have a duty to my business, to my current clients, to my future clients, anyone that's out there that I can potentially help. I owe it to them to kind of manage all these things that I don't find fun in my business because otherwise I can't show up for them. So that's what I try to tell people. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people avoid it. Um, at the end of the day, it's all of our money, money stories that we've picked up in our lives and also the money experiences we've had. And every person has such a different experience. It's hard to kind of give blanket advice, but I'm great at habit matching and picking up patterns. And that's why the way that I approach these things with my clients works is because it's going to be whatever is going on in Lydia's life. It's going to be very specific, uh, tailored to you essentially. And we'll figure out what actually will matter to you. Because that's at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. Um, So it takes some time, but it's great to see what kind of opportunity people can create for themselves. I've seen people get through money blocks and then make $13,000 in the first two weeks of just clearing their minds of these money blockages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, so you would say there is not a common, like not a like common pattern why people are there, and it's always connected with their specific money story, with their money experiences. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Mm. Mm, okay. Two last questions. I love this so far. Um, and I really love that you bring this very, um, like there are a lot of money coaches out there and I love the the energy part of money, money coaching, like thinking big and the energy f- tuning into the frequency. And because I think you have this background of accounting, you really have the background of numbers, like dealing with numbers. If you budget and, you know, whatever that then means in the specific um, area with that person, the numbers will add up, up, you know, you have a very, like you have bring both things to the table, the energetic approach um, and this pragmatic view basically on money. So I love that because uh, a saying yes. I re- <laughs> remember from one of my last coaches was um, money loves responsibility. So money doesn't really care about if you high vibe about it or something like that. It just loves like loves, you know, not like as a person, um, that you take care of it, that you look at it, that you measure it, that you have an idea about it and how where it's going. So I love that very pragmatic um, side or view of that, of, uh, of money. Um, yeah, Thank another you. question would be, what are the biggest misunderstandings and mistakes you see out there around money? We have touched a little bit on it. Um, perhaps some more thoughts on that. Yes, I think... I think one of the one of the biggest ones, just like I used to think, is that money is evil and it corrupts. I definitely see this um, very often with people that I speak to. The other thing that I see um, that I'm working on dispelling is this idea that creatives are supposed to be starving artists. I believe that you have to be a great business owner to be a great artist. 
Michelangelo, there's no way that he could have done these great masterpieces that we still look at, that we still talk about, had he not been able to get all the patronage that he did. So he needed to be able to talk to people and talk to people about money. And if he wasn't going to have these money conversations, we wouldn't be talking about his art today. So um, those are the two big things that I'm definitely working on kind of dispelling. It's um, money is not evil. It's great to want more money. Money just means more opportunity and really more options. And a lot of people say, you know, money can't buy happiness. And that is true. But money can give you opportunities and more opportunities to find what that happiness means for you. Hmm. I love that. Oh, I love that. Okay, so perhaps um, like around money, last questions, any last thoughts for you for the audience? You know, I also have creatives, intuitives, introverts in, um, in my audience. So people who are not like jumping on the stage and doing all the big things and rather like, you know, being the, the, the not smaller, the um, quieter people. Any last tips around money from your side? Yes, I would say... I can, and especially this is for creatives, just because that is the group that I work with the most, but no matter how intimidating it is, I can promise you that if you took it one step at a time, you can figure things out. A tip that I like to give people is, you know, you may have all these numbers in your business. You may have been in business for some time and it's grown and you're not sure what's going on. Don't try to figure it all out all in one go. Pick one number for the week and try to see what that number means. Where is it coming from? How is it impacting your business? And no one will know what those numbers really mean except you because you're the business owner, you're running the business. Try to tackle it. And if you're not sure how to tackle it, I am always here. <laughs> But really, you can always go on YouTube. You can search a lot of things out there. There is tons of information. And don't let this be the reason why your business doesn't have all the opportunity that it needs to succeed. Mm -hmm. oh, I love that, Olga. Yeah, and I would say I will most definitely add your contact details, your website from rags to riches. I love that, by the way. Consulting. Um, in the show notes so feel free to to reach out do you do any free consultate not free consultations but getting to know you kind of things or how do you how do you usually work with people yes so you can always contact me on linkedin i spend a lot of time there and i as of september i'm also going to start doing uh webinars um they it's going to be a monthly webinar where i bring on an expert in their field, and we will have money conversations. A lot of them are going to be about money personalities. So if you were really interested about the money personality subject that we talked about a little today, they're going to be about money personalities and tying into other topics. So for example, generating more income, um, also some bigger business subjects, such as um, providing financial literacy education for employees. So things like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So people can tune in there or reach out to you on LinkedIn, basically. Exactly. 
Yeah, and who knows, perhaps, um, because I refer like my one-to-one -one clients, they also get sessions with other coaches. So who knows, perhaps they, they get a, a session or several sessions with you. Yes, absolutely. Okay, Olga, thank you for your time. That was super, super interesting. Thank you for all your advice and input. And I would say until the next time. Thanks so much for having me, Lydia. It was a lot of fun.